Welcome into another episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. My name is Jacob Rudner alongside Graham Hall. Uh, and Graham, we have plenty to talk about in this episode of the show. Florida uh, making its way towards the end of its football season, currently six and four overall, two games to play, one at Vanderbilt, one at Florida State before a bowl game, which they are officially qualified for, with a win over South Carolina to move them to six on the season. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Uh, in this episode of the podcast, as we always do, first episode of the week is a review of Florida's previous game. But today we're going to review previous games, uh, Florida taking on South Carolina on the gridiron and some basketball action, Florida three games into its basketball season, uh, two and one over on the hardwood. And we will talk about that at the end of the show. But without further ado, I say we jump right into this South Carolina game, a dominant performance from Florida, really, for the first time this season. Uh, Gators won this one 38 to six, did not allow a defensive touchdown throughout the game. Uh, Just what Billy Napier is calling the most complete performance of the season. And I think that we should start by giving credit where it's due. Uh, This was the best defensive performance Florida has put together this season from minute one all the way through 60. Uh, Again, they did not surrender a touchdown. The lone score uh, for South Carolina came on special teams, which we can talk about in a second as well. But uh, give me kind of the importance of this one for Florida's defense to be able to step up and and beat a team that's over 500, has been in the AP top 25 more recently than Florida has, uh, and gets shut out. Yeah, a team in South Carolina that had won five of its previous six contests. But if you'd read our first look coming into the week and had been following what South Carolina had been dealing with, you know that this is a team that has had its ups and downs this this season, uh, was dealing with some difficulties coming into this game, losing leading rusher Marshawn Lloyd, who remained back in Columbia. So I think Florida's defense was able to build on what they did in the second half against the tech, against the Aggies when they were in College Station, and they were able to come out with a lot of confidence, uh, you know, better understanding of the scheme, as we've heard players talk about, more experienced playmakers, some new additions there at Jack linebacker with uh, Antoine Powell and Lloyd Summerall playing that role there. And they started, like you said, Jacob, incredibly strong against the Gamecocks and held, you know, that offense to a three and out right out of the jump. And Florida was able to score on its first two possessions of the game. And really you get a double digit lead like that. And your defense is so well rested. It really gives you a whole bunch of momentum and the, the Gators continue to capitalize on, like I mentioned, a Gamecocks offense that I think is, one have been this like overlooked aspects of the year two in Columbia is that their offense is kind of a crossroads right now. They brought in Spencer Rattler, the former five-star prospect who a redshirt junior had success with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, but entered an offense this year that was without its leading rusher. As I mentioned, also was kind of finding ways to get some of its best playmakers involved in the game still, whether it was Jaheim Bell, the tight end, or Josh Fan and Antoine Wells. Those guys had had success, but they really weren't able to consistently use them. And they have an offensive coordinator who's in the final year of his contract in Marcus Satterfield. And that allowed Florida's defense to take advantage of a pretty precarious situation that the Gamecocks are in and, and pounced all over them, limited Rattler to a very inefficient um, throwing game uh, performance. I mean, he did complete 18 of what 26 passes there so it was accurate for him but really they didn't allow anything downfield and neutralize the running game and that led florida to have as you said their most complete defensive performance that was really reached its peak there 
in the third quarter where Florida gets, you know, three fumble recoveries on four plays. I don't think I've seen that in my eight years covering this team. Uh, it, it's absolutely a, a very encouraging, enthusiastic performance for Florida and something that they hope to continue building off of. And as we've mentioned here, has been a very favorable end of the season schedule for Florida after a very tough start to the year. Yeah, I was going to address that. I, I think that there are some people who look at Florida's recent defensive success, and I think that they fairly will look at the schedule and they go, well, we're improving, but our opponents are not improving. They're not going in the right direction. We're playing teams that are worse as the season is going on, and our defense is performing better as we face worse teams. And that, to some people, uh, could be discouraging. And I would understand that if, if that was where you were coming from. I think that one thing that's important to keep in mind when assessing this is something that Billy Napier has repeated over and over again as we've gone on through the season here. And I actually think it's quite valuable. And I've used it, I know, on the podcast uh, several times. It's, it's, it is more in year one. It is more about process, in my opinion, than it is about the outright result or the outright quality of the opponent. And those things are important. There's no question about that. Those things matter. Uh, I would just say that there is greater emphasis. There's a greater need for attention to how things happened, not necessarily what happened in the end of the game. So Florida was extremely successful in the second half against Texas A&M, which was missing a whole bunch of scholarship players. There are people who said, yes, Florida was good, but Texas A&M was severely limited in what it was able to do offensively. So, of course, Florida was good. But like we said on the show, we said, hold on, wait, wait, wait. This was a really pretty performance. It was it was good because Texas A&M was not good, and, and Florida was able to show that. They were able to uh, emphasize the fact that Texas A&M was the weaker team. I'm not arguing that. But I think that the way that it happened, like we said, was really sound and, you know, just kind of in a technical way that we haven't seen previously. I think that that, what I just said, carried over really beautifully from the Texas A&M game in College Station to the South Carolina game in Gainesville. I thought Florida did the process right. I thought that their, the, the, the way that they went about the strong performance was really encouraging. I think that you have to be encouraged if you're a Florida fan. Um, one thing that I will single out before we continue to progress through our thoughts on this game. I think that Florida's pass rush and defensive line have been on another level uh, really since Brenton Cox was dismissed from the team. And I'm not suggesting that that is something that we're hearing as being a, you know, a major influential moment, uh, but it is hard to ignore the timing, I would say, of Florida's defensive front improvement and Brenton Cox dismissal. Uh, another great game from the unit. They came up with three sacks, uh, Multiple players contributed to that. Uh, the rushing, like you said, Florida did a great job of limiting South Carolina to just 141 yards on the ground on 25 carries, two touchdowns. Uh, excuse me. I don't know why I just said that. That was Florida's stat line. Hold on one second. To the air. Uh, South Carolina rushed for just 44 yards, which is far fewer <laughs> than what I just said. And obviously no touchdowns because there was a shutout. Uh, we haven't seen that before. Florida has not been able to bottle anybody up. And the guy who I will give a shout out to is Desmond Watson. He was phenomenal uh, against the run. Graded out as one of the best run stoppers in the nation, if I'm not mistaken, if not the best uh, run stopping defensive tackle. So these are encouraging things 
uh, regardless of the opponent uh, and whether or not I can read. Florida did a great job uh, against the run. Let's talk about Florida's ability to run the football, though. Uh, we've known, Graham, that this was something that would be a strength this year. We've been talking about it since the preseason. They had four running backs who many viewed as capable, Lorenzo Lingard, Naquan Wright, uh, and then obviously Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne. Uh, the latter two are now Florida's bell cow backs. They are the only two uh, who are really uh, the, the focal points of this rushing game. And boy, are they fantastic. Uh, Florida rushes for a season high 374 yards and three touchdowns in this game. 161 for Johnson, 100 for Etienne, 96 for Anthony Richardson. Graham, potent unit, had another great day. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I thought that it started off extremely promising because they got Anthony Richardson involved on the ground early. He, you know, lowers his head there in the first quarter, gets Florida on the scoreboard. Montrell Johnson is a guy that I think you see him get better as the game goes on. And Billy Napier talked about this on Monday when he said that, you know, Johnson's kind of a unique breed who, when he gets into the, the third quarter, fourth quarter there, he doesn't lose a head of steam. He kind of has picked up some momentum and they can ride him there in the third quarter. You saw Trevor Etienne get actually the majority of his carries there in the first half. He gets that 85-yard touchdown run. We've said time and time again that the breakaway speed that Florida's runners have this season is going to allow for explosive plays to happen. It just It's a matter of when they happen, and sometimes they're not even plays that you draw up thinking that this guy is going to house one, and then he just gets a good block and gets a seam and, and just gets completely open down the sideline, as you saw with ETN. And so I think that's you know, one of Florida's best strengths is they continue rushing the football, rotating guys in. They have now a three-headed monster in Richardson, Johnson, and ETN who are all comfortable running the football. And I think that when they all have a chance to mix in there and have success, it has been to Florida's benefit this season. Uh, it was great to see Montreal Johnson get his touchdown there in the end of the game. Either Johnson or ETN has scored in every single one of Florida's games this year. Of Florida's 65 runs this season of 10 yards or more, Etienne and Johnson have combined for 39 of them. I think that pretty much speaks right there to how valuable those two guys are right there. And then, you know, factor in Richardson as well, who we've seen break a lot of big runs this season. So that's probably 80% right there, if not more, of Florida's runs of 10 yards or more. And you've seen as they've had success, Florida has had a lot of success, you know. Richardson clearly has some stuff to work on, which we're about to talk about here in the next segment. But I think when he gets good in the open field and don't really need to rely on him to convert on third and long on obvious passing downs, Florida's offense is a well-oiled unit right now. And obviously it speaks to the strength that they have on the offensive line, as well as the improvements of Florida's running backs and, and their dual threat quarterback. Well, I think a lot of this, the credit, this season for Florida's offensive success uh, starts up front should go without saying, but I think that that unit uh, gets routinely undercredited nationally. This isn't just a Florida thing. Uh, boy, has Florida's offensive line been good. Uh, and, and that is in the run game. That is in pass protection. Uh, this is a unit that has played exceptionally well. And if you go back to before the season started, one of the areas that you and I predicted as a Florida strength, was its front. I think that it had uh, a level of experience before the season started that kind of pointed to this, but also the coaching at that position has been nothing short of phenomenal. I mean, to be able to do what they're doing with essentially seven guys who have played considerable reps, it's not just a five-man group. They are 
mixing in guys like Austin Barber, who's made several starts. Uh, Richie Leonard has made, I, I believe, one start, but several appearances as a routine, you know, kind of replacement uh, relief guy along the interior of the offensive line. And it hasn't, it hasn't really mattered. They can put whoever out there and it works. Uh, they have that whole uh, five equals one uh, saying that they have the shirts about it. And it might sound cheesy, but it really has been true. Every five people who they've put out there, any group of five, has performed quite well. And, and that comes down to a guy like Osiris Torrance, who I think is going to be an All-American this season. I'd be shocked if he wasn't. Uh, and, and they're paving the way for some great days on the ground. Let's move on, though, uh, and talk about Florida's passing game. While well-protected from its offensive front, uh, it has not been routinely successful the same way that Florida's rushing attack has uh, some games really great others uh, not nearly the same quality uh, in this one probably not one of Florida's best passing performances uh, a total of 25 passes thrown 23 from Anthony Richardson two from backup Jalen Kitna uh, completed 13 of those passes so so just over 50 percent for 141 yards two touchdowns. They were not intercepted, uh, sacked three times. So not a great day. Florida's leading receiver on the afternoon uh, was Caleb Douglas, the freshman, three catches for 53 yards with a long of 27. It should be noted, uh, Justin Shorter, Jaquavian Frazier's, and Keon Zipperer were not available for the contest. So uh, as Billy Napier has said, it is as much about the receivers as it is the quarterback in the passing game. But Graham, uh, is this... Is this a, a sign of Anthony Richardson maybe being too much in his own head? Uh, is this is this a physical thing? What where where is the struggle rooted for Anthony Richardson this season? I think that for him it still is just a little bit mechanical, throwing on the run, how much he's putting on passes at times, and then combined with his just overall lack of in-game reps from a passing standpoint still. I mean, you got to think about the fact that he's thrown less than 400 passes at the collegiate level throughout his, his entire career still. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense why you're still seeing someone who has a lot of work to do, just even in terms of in this offense, of course. And then you factor in the, you know, the variety of pass catchers that he's worked with, Florida starting a wide receiver um, in – Caleb Douglas, the first freshman wide receiver who started for the team, I believe, in the last three years. That is, I think, a situation that Florida is not really used to being in. Obviously, you lose a guy like Justin Shorter, Andrew Quavion Frazier's two guys who this season at times have had their moments. Frazier started in College Station after Shorter was, was ruled out, and Frazier's had an impact. He had a touchdown. And I think that when you look at, you know, where Douglas still has to improve. I mean, a whole lot of talent, but maybe, you know, a guy who still is, you know, learning the offense and, and where to be and, and what Richardson does well. But I, I did think that actually from watching that game to, to answer the question here, I didn't think it was that discouraging of a passing performance by Anthony Richardson. There were several plays there where the receiver could have made the grab his, it was went through a receiver's hands a couple times, and you know Richardson was on the money. He made the the right throw. He made the right sure. read. He avoided the turnover, like you said. And I think that you know ultimately Florida will take that. Was it perfect? 
no, absolutely not. He still has a way to improve. And, and he would tell you that he did tell you that on Monday. And I, I think that it just makes a whole lot of sense. But if, the, you know, if he continues making those strides and limits to turnovers, Florida's going to be happy um, with his current progression rate right now in my mind. And so I think that that's the overall takeaway for a guy like him. If they can use him on the ground to get nearly 100 yards, play turnover free football and have him run the offense efficiently, even if he's just completing passes at a 55% you know, completion rate, 60%, there's a part of Florida that has to be happy with that right now. Yeah, I this see for me, I, I'm I'm always so hesitant to be critical because first of all, one thing that should be addressed: Anthony Richardson did not complete 50% of his passes in this game. That is a number that certainly needs to improve. Billy Napier has said as much on several occasions, including this week, by the way. Uh, however, one of the things that Florida looks at is quarterback rating, not necessarily completion percentage. And, and Billy Napier said that that number in the Warties, uh, that he, they want their quarterbacks to hit on a game-by-game basis uh, to determine whether or not they're performing well. I don't know the number off the top of my head uh, from Richardson's performance against South Carolina. However, I can tell you that, like you just said, I think that he found ways to be effective. He threw for two touchdowns, and even if though he didn't complete 50% of his passes, he scored on two of them. Two of his 11 completions picked up points. He also did top 100 yards, which doesn't sound terribly impressive. However, uh, I will offer this. Uh, Florida's receivers were not impressive in this game. Uh, I did not think that they got open enough, having watched it and rewatched it. Uh, I thought that that was inconsistent. Like you said, I thought that there were catchable passes that were not caught for a combination of reasons. Some throws I thought had a little too much sauce behind them uh and others I, I just thought were catchable balls that weren't caught uh that can't happen that doesn't help your quarterback but we saw signs of it being effective the 27 yard pass to caleb douglas uh khalil jackson the walk-on that was this florida's second leading receivers had one catch for 23 yards uh i think the the big thing needs to be consistency here and i don't know if it's anthony richardson too much in his own head thinking about certain things while he's trying to operate, but I've noticed consistently this season that he seems to struggle more with these short range passes than he does in the intermediate to long. I, I, and to me, that's a sign of overthinking and obviously mechanics are a part of that, but uh, I, I think that he's overcomplicating what should be the simplest part of his game. And in Florida's offense, arguably the most important uh, let's move on to talking about things a little more broadly here. Uh, Florida's made a lot of progress this season. And I, I personally believe that they have uh, turned the corner in a way. We, we didn't see these confident performances earlier on in the season. And I think that we're starting to kind of see uh, this growth and maturity that is really important for the end of year one. And I, like I've always been saying, the win total and... All of that, it doesn't matter this year. Throw that out the window. To me, what's important is a coaching staff comes in, demonstrates two things. One, progress. You, you show ways that you are going to improve upon what you took over, that you can use what the last staff was fired for and do better with it because you are the better coaching staff. We believe in you more. So 
first of all, I think they've done that. I think that we're starting to see that now. The second thing is, is that they need to show that they understand what the problems are and fix them moving forward. And this year, the biggest problem, in my opinion, was Florida's culture. There are a lot of guys around the program who probably shouldn't be there anymore. Dan Mullen allowed the situation to devolve to a point that led to him getting fired. Billy Napier took over that situation. It's time for him to fix it. Uh, and we're seeing that. I think that we are watching uh, both guys who might not be adequate players at this level start to announce their departures from the program. But we've also seen with guys like Brenton Cox, who is certainly physically adequate to play at this level, be dismissed from the team because it wasn't working out from a cultural standpoint. Uh, I will give you the floor because that's my piece. I think that Florida's biggest improvement has been with leadership, uh, has been with just the cohesiveness, with the culture rebuild, and those are the things that are contributing to the progress, which is what has me uh, feeling encouraged about what I'm seeing. Well, let, let's hear about your thoughts. Yeah, I think Anthony Richardson's leadership ability has been a big reason that that has been able to happen. You know, a guy who's a sophomore on a team full of sophomores who are actually leading right now, whether it's Montreal Johnson, Jervon Dexter, you name it. There is some underclassmen leadership ability on this team, and those guys need to step up this season. And it, I think it's taken this long to do that. And I think a lot of that's understandable, you know, not to necessarily, like you said, put it all on Brenton Cox. But when you have a guy like that, who is a, an, you know, an elder statesman in the room is a leader like that. Players are going to look to him even, you know, if he's not leading the right way. So I think that that aspect of it, allowing that, that presence to leave, to allow other guys to lead in the room, it has been, I think, very helpful to Florida as of late. And the accountability factor, guys having a better understanding of the offense and holding each other accountable as more guys come out of the dark, so to speak, they're able to guide others into the light and say, hey, listen, we need to stay in the light. This is what you need to do. And having that, that light come out collectively can just lead to, I think, a lot of the increased confidence that we are seeing. So when you look at the combination of factors like that, I think it's incredibly Im impressive to see that Florida has stepped up in November. I said this in the season you know, preview podcast and when we were talking about our predictions for the season that how Florida finished the season would be incredibly important compared to the start of it because if they can have a team that does not fold, that comes together late, rallies and builds off of what happened early rather than just saying, hey, you know, let's look to the, you know, this year's a wash, let's look to the future. If they could build off of that instead, it would be, I think, very impressive and bode well for the future of a Billy Napier-led program here in Gainesville. And I think that that's what we're seeing right now. Obviously, there's still two weeks left here to go with two road trips at the end of the year. And Florida does not want to finish six and six or even just seven and five right now. If they can get to eight and four and finish the season on a four-game win streak after how difficult that first year of the season was with wins over Utah and what they've gone through, I think that a lot of people will come out with a very optimistic viewpoint heading into year two, you knowing you get a, a full, you know, 15 practices of bowl prep, and then you'll get a lot of these guys back for spring to continue building off of the foundation that they established in year one. So a lot is still at stake here these final two weeks, but right now it looks like Florida has turned a corner. The, the key is to make sure that they don't go back around it before the year ends. 
positive direction on the gridiron for the Gators as their season gets closer to its finish line. Uh, again, two more regular season games for the Gators and a bowl game, which they are officially qualified for at this time. Uh, to keep things moving here, Graham, let's uh, let's wrap up on a different sport. Uh, Florida basketball season is underway. They are 2-1 and one overall wins over Stony Brook, Kennesaw State before uh, an upset loss, a 76-74 defeat against yeah, FAU uh, in Gainesville. Not what most fans wanted to see early on in the season. However, I will say this, uh, you and I predicted uh, FAU wins in this game uh, just simply based on the matchups, based on where Florida was at. And I think that we should spend our last six or so minutes of this episode uh, discussing kind of what we've seen so far from Florida basketball through three games. Not necessarily to dissect one game or another, but let's kind of talk big picture. Uh, what do you like? What do you not like? Uh, and some early season takeaways from you, Graham. Yeah, I got to give you some credit first before I take any of my own. We both had different uh, reasons why we thought that FAU would have a chance to win this game on Monday night, I just gave a lot of credit to Dusty May and the state of overall Florida basketball in general. And you knew that this was a you know a tough matchup for Florida and the way that you know Florida had been playing the first two games of the season. Yeah, there was a lot of promise in there, but when you really did break it down, I did think that you saw some holes of what Florida needs to continue working on, whether it was their slow starts in those first two games, which were a problem even in that secret scrimmage against Jacksonville whether it was their their defensive rotations this early in the season. Um, and, you know, I think even their half-court offense remains a work in progress, as we have seen to begin the season. Uh, they haven't really got, I think, as many good looks from three as this team would like. They've had to rely a lot on their man in the middle and Colin Castleton, who has been just an absolute force to start the year. Really took him a while to come along in, in fall camp. They were limiting him, knowing he was coming back from injury. Maybe all that extra quote-unquote rest and lack of contact that he took for so long has allowed him to come out here rejuvenated and be an absolute force, force, force for Florida. Excuse me. Back-to-back 30-point -back games for, I think, the first time in Gainesville in 17 years, maybe just 18 yeah. years since the Matt Welsh, you know, Anthony Roberson era. Great time in Gainesville before Florida really got over the hump and became a championship-winning program. I think that absolutely you have seen this season some up and down play from the many, you know, heralded additions. I think Alex Fudge and Kyle Lofton are two that you've seen some really, really good bright spots. Fudge led the team off the bench with 16 points in his first game, but really has been limited the last two games. Only had, I think, four points against Florida Atlantic. And when CJ Felder is held scoreless, in like a game like he was um, this past Monday against FAU. I mean, you really need someone to step up next to Castleton, space the floor, knock down some shots, grab some rebounds. We know that Florida is coming off being a very poor defensive rebounding team this season. So it's not going to be an overnight correction. I think a lot of people were expecting Todd Golden's presence, much like many people thought initially with Billy Napier, to be this overnight transformation, even though knowing that half of the roster was returning from last season and they were learning a new system and new teammates in the fold, that buzzword chemistry that we love to throw around needs to continue increasing, certainly. So I think that 
an early season loss like this to a team that has gelled, played well together, and a coach that's returning to his old stomping grounds in a way, playing for a little bit of pride in a sense here. I think that absolutely all these factors make sense. I had said to you that last season, well, not to compare it necessarily to you know the Mike White era, but Florida dropped a, an early game to, I think, Texas Southern last year, a quadrant four loss that really kind of shocked a lot of people. This is not as bad as that. This will end up being a quadrant two loss for the Gators when all things are said and done. And if they can build off of this and make the improvements that are necessary, they're going to be just okay. I, I wrote on our message board, and I guess I'll use this as an opportunity to kind of plug our work as well. Uh, if you aren't paying attention on swamp247.com, I can confidently tell you that you're missing out. Uh, lots of great content going up there all the time, but also, uh, and this is really where the most value is, is we have our message board where Graham, uh, Blake Alderman, and I are constantly offering updates and answering questions and having conversations uh, with analysis. One of the things that I said on our message board in the lead up to this game was that I thought Florida would have a harder time in this contest at a minimum than the analytics and the projections might have indicated. If I remember correctly, Ken Palm had Florida beating FAU, I think, I think it was by 10 points and they gave them an 81% chance of victory regardless of score or something like that. And I wrote something along the lines of pay no mind, for, forget that, throw that out the window. Because I, again, I, this was a matchup that I, I hated for Florida. I, I hated it. I thought that uh, FAU's guard play was very sound uh, and precise and determined already. There, there, there wasn't a lot of trying to figure things out for FAU in a way that I think Florida is still trying to to do under Todd Golden. And that's not his fault. That's like Graham just said, that's the start of a new coaching staff with a roster that is, you know, pieces who have never really actually played before. And yes, it's one thing to practice and scrimmage together, but to get into game mode is a very different thing. And so uh, I think Florida is trying to figure things out in a way that FAU is not. And that was the first problem. The second is, is that FAU is a very good team in transition and they're a very potent team from beyond the three point line. And where did Florida get hurt the most in this game defensively in transition and from beyond the three point line, FAU went 13 of 24 on threes over 50%. You're not winning a game unless you're having an equally impressive offensive performance you're not winning a game in which your opponent goes 13 for 24 from three, simply. So uh, that was the shortcoming to me in that game. Florida also went 10 for 32 on layups, shots close to the basket. The combination of those things is lethal. So uh, they were not winning that game once we kind of saw that. But I had said, you had said, that this was going to be challenging in general. I think that the big thing right now, uh, there was a lot of frustration from the fans. Uh, after Florida lost to FAU. Again, as I've said all the time on this podcast, that's fair. You, you Frustration is understandable uh, after bad losses. However, I would say that for the people who are passionately upset about Florida losing that game uh, and are questioning, because I've seen it with my own eyes, are questioning Todd Golden three games into the season, which is outrageous. But wouldn't you believe I, a lot of the same people who are questioning Todd Golden as quickly as they are were the same people who questioned or fired or whatever Billy Napier way too early into the season and are happy now with the progress Billy Napier has made. And that's my point. I think that 
in Gainesville within the last four months, we've already seen why it pays to be patient. It pays to just wait and see what your first year coach who has problems and things that he has to unwind and reset and, and teach and, and get his players to buy into that takes time. That's not a three game thing. And, and like you said, I think FAU isn't getting enough credit. I think FAU is a very good team. I think FAU is a tournament team uh, for the first time in a very long time, if not program history. Uh, Dusty May is doing a phenomenal job over there, and he has his team in a position to compete in those kinds of games. I don't think that this loss is as bad as it's being made out to be, as this is just a good FAU team. And the other thing is, is that I wouldn't mind seeing some patience. Let's see what Todd Golden can do as we reach the halfway point of the season, as we get three quarters of the way through the season. Let's let's see how things change. I would also say that this is a roster that still has the fingerprints of Mike White on it. The, we, it's a roster where a lot of Florida's contributors are guys who are holdovers from last time, last coaching regime. Uh, and so you have to give a coach some room to breathe when he's not fully playing with his guys. These And yes, it was his choice to retain these guys, but get rid of more of them. And you're talking about trying to bring in, what would it have been? Five, six transfers. And as time goes on, the quality of those transfers starts to diminish. So Florida did a great job in the portal. They landed four guys who are widely regarded as, as top-tier portal players. They were ranked among the top 10 teams nationally uh, in portal recruiting in their first offseason. They landed a, a guy in Riley Kugel who I think, Graham, you and I both would agree is an NBA prospect, whether that's this offseason or in a future offseason. I can see him playing at the world's highest level. I mean, this is a guy who's extremely talented. Uh, these are positives. These are good things. And so I think that, you know, yes – is the FAU loss bad? 100%. Is it tough to stomach? Sure. But but I don't know. I feel like the reaction from a lot of people was premature, uh, especially given what we know and what we've seen can happen with football. So uh, food for thought. Something to keep in mind uh, as we continue to get through uh, the early stages of the Todd Golden era. That's going to do it for this episode of the Swamp 247 podcast, though. And like I said earlier, we would certainly encourage you uh, to head on over to swamp247.com. Uh, make sure that you are checking out our content as much as possible. We're posting things about football, basketball, recruiting uh, is in full swing right now. Obviously, Florida just landed a huge flip uh, in Jaden Rashada, Blake Alderman doing a great job in coverage over there. Uh, and and keep it locked on our YouTube and Spotify. If you are listening to this on an audio-only platform, we appreciate you. If you're listening to this on YouTube, like, subscribe, uh, and uh, you know, let us know what you think. In the comment section, like I've always say every single week, you won't offend me, uh, but I like to hear what you have to say. So uh, your feedback is certainly appreciated and read. And uh, if you have questions, we can even get back to you. That's something that we are uh, going to be better about moving forward. So uh, certainly appreciate all of the support, whether YouTube, Spotify, on the website. Uh, and we would encourage you again to visit us over there and jump on in the message board. See how you like it. Uh, Graham, for this episode, though, Dunzo. Uh, that's all we had to talk about. And uh, we have some big podcast plans for this week. So today is Wednesday, November 16th. Uh, that's when you'll be seeing this episode. You can tune back in tomorrow uh, on the 17th to see our episode previewing Florida's matchup at Vanderbilt. And then there will be a recruiting show uh, later this week with Blake Alderman and I. Uh, that usually goes up on Fridays, although we might push that episode 
to Sunday this week due to uh, the travel. Graham and I will both be in Nashville. So uh, stay tuned for that as we get through the rest of the week. But for this one, that's going to do it, and we will see you next time.